Welcome to Torah Talk, a program that challenges 2,000 years of misunderstanding and neglect of the Torah, God's law. In this show, we will be threshing ideologies by examining these scriptures in their Hebraic contexts. Our goal is to separate the wheat from the chaff, the truth from misconception. This program is sponsored by The Harvest, a Messianic Charismatic Congregation in Thornton, Colorado. Thank you for choosing to listen to Torah Talk. I'm your host, Pastor Mark, and today I'll be concluding the series on the question, Should Christians Observe the Seventh-day Sabbath? My interest in this matter was piqued when I read an article on this topic by one of the most noteworthy Messianic Jewish scholars of our time, Dr. Michael Brown. And frankly, I was shocked by his response to this question. If I read and understood him correctly, the Sabbath is not for Gentiles to observe. It is only for the Jewish people. He implies the Sunday is the appropriate day for Gentile believers to observe if they really want to observe a day at all. But Shabbat is off limits for the Gentile believers. It was not for them. It was given to Israel alone. Well, maybe I misread him. You can read his article for yourself on his website, askdrbrown.org. That's askdrbrown.org. Should Christians observe the Seventh-day Sabbath? Now, regardless, the bigger issue is the question itself, and I want to get into this great dialogue because it's been raging since the day that the church changed it from Saturday to Sunday. And until the church repents and changes it back for its members, the debate will rightfully rage on. So stay with me as I raise some widespread objections to religious leaders who want to diminish and even annul the Lord's Day, the Seventh-day Sabbath, and replace it with the traditions of the church. Now keep in mind, this is a midrash is not to be uh, construed as a doctrinal statement or theological treatise on the subject. I am simply wrestling with the passages to better inform you as well as myself, and I reserve the right to change my mind on my ideas as I grow in the grace and knowledge of Messiah. So let's jump into the fray as we conclude this series. So under Dr. Brown's fifth key point in his, in his article, he states, quote, On the other hand, since God never commanded Gentile believers to observe the Seventh-day Sabbath, it is simply not stated in the New Testament. There is no reason why they cannot set aside Sunday as I, I'm sorry. There is no reason why they cannot set Sunday aside as a special day of rest and worship for the Lord, thereby incorporating the principle of Sabbath into their lives. To the extent that Christians feel led to set aside Sunday as their Sabbath, there is nothing wrong with doing so, so long as they realize they cannot judge others who do not share this conviction. See especially Romans chapter 14. Now, I presume that Dr. Brown is referring to Romans chapter 14 and verse 5. Let me read that for you. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. Now, for me, it seems that Paul, um, I, I mean, I, I think Dr. Brown is, is implying that Paul is reducing and even changing the command to remember uh, and observe the weekly Seventh-day Shabbat to a principle that can apply to any day you, one might choose to observe. 
In other words, pick a day any day, as long as you make it your personal Sabbath. Now, do you think uh, that Paul is actually doing away with the Sabbath command for believers? You know, he, he's the one who said earlier in chapter 3 of his epistle, quote, Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Yeah, I, I don't think that's what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 14 and verse 5. I don't think he's doing away with the Sabbath command at all. In fact, I think there's a context for verse 5, and we're going to take a look at that. Uh, if you'll come back to the beginning of the chapter with me, let's open up and see what Paul's actually saying. Romans 14, 1 through 5. It says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgments on his opinions. So in verse 1, we have this context um, you know, kind of opened up for us that what Paul's referring to here in Romans chapter 5 is a matter of opinions. Again, now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. In other words, his opinions are not to be confused with the clear commandments of God. The issue is opinions, not the commandments of God. The commandments of God are not opinions. So what Paul is beginning to address is this, this uh, area of opinions and how it relates to fellowship and how we view one another. Let me go on. Verse 2 says this. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So, the matter here uh, is, is opinions regarding food. You know, diets that include meat versus vegetarianism, which excludes meat. Now, both positions are allowed in the Torah, and therefore each position becomes a matter of one's personal opinion. And Paul's saying, respect each other's opinions. This is the realm of opinion, not the clear, explicit commands of God. It goes on to say in verse 5, and here's our passage. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. So again, this is the realm of opinion and not a, refer a reference to the clear commands of God. So to regard one day above another must be a reference to something other than the fourth commandment concerning the weekly worship day for believers. The fourth commandment is not the opinion of men, it's the commandment of God. Now notice what Paul goes on to say in verse 6. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. Now that that's fascinating. When you when you read that in context, it appears to be a reference to observing days as fast days. In other words, this is the matter of which days are most appropriate to fast on. And I want to say from the earliest times in biblical history, fasting has been a spiritual discipline. And by the first century, and I think you'll find this very interesting, uh, fasting became a part of the way of life 
for many Jewish people. Now, I want to read some things from the Jewish Virtual Library related to fasting. So this is on the uh, website, Jewish Virtual Library, under Fasting and Fast Days. Quote, during the second, the second temple period, daily or bi-weekly fastings were practiced. Now, I want to stop right there. I want to point out the second temple period, uh, i.e., that, that would include the first century, um, fasting had become a practice, a practice which took place either once or twice a week. And this was within the Judaisms of the first century. Now, let me go on. It goes on to say, quote, the Jewish literature of the second temple period also advocates fasting as a way of atonement for sins committed either unintentionally or even deliberately or to prevent them. These reasons for fastings were strengthened by the destruction of the second temple. Ordinary fast days lasted for the duration of daylight hours. The important fasts were for a full 24 hours. Fasts were held either for one day or sometimes for a series of three or seven days. Occasionally, even daily for a continued period. In exceptional cases, fasts were also held on the Sabbath and the festivals, but it was usually forbidden to fast on those days. Some authorities also forbade fasting on the eve of the Sabbath, of festivals, and of the new moon. Now note, it goes on to say, quote, It was customary to hold public fast days on Mondays and Thursdays. So, unquote. So, so, so what we have here by, by the first century is this custom within Judaism's uh, to hold public fast days on Mondays and Thursdays. That was the custom. That was the practice. It was widespread. Now, let me go on. I'm going to quote this again. It was customary to hold public fast days on Mondays and Thursdays. Individuals, however, especially after the destruction of the temple, took upon themselves to fast every Monday and Thursday, unquote. Note well the widespread custom among many religious Jews in the first century to join together and fast on Mondays and Thursdays. Those were the commonly held and fixed practices. In other words, the practice of fasting was specific to two days a week, Mondays and Thursdays. That's how important fasting was. It was so important and widespread that they actually chose and then and then almost legislated that you fasted on those days, Mondays and Thursdays. That was the custom. It was an expectation that if you fast as a way of life, you do it on Mondays and Thursdays so as to keep unity and solidarity in the community of Israel while fasting. This is the cultural and religious context of Paul's writings. Fast days were not the commands of God, but they were very important and they were established on, on specific days. These being, of course, the tradition or practice or instruction of men, therefore the realm of opinion. So fast days were important, but they, they determined those fast days not based on explicit commands in the Scripture, but on what they thought was most suitable and acceptable. And that became... Uh, Monday and Thursday by the first century. 
Now, the didache, this, this is important too. This is another document that I want to read uh, to you that, that has an impact on this. And, and the word didache comes from a Greek word meaning doctrine or teaching. Uh, this is a very important but controversial text. It is not part of the canon of Scripture, but it's believed to have been written by the apostles themselves between A.D. 70 and A.D. 100. In fact, the Greek apostolic constitutions uh, have many references to the didache, with additional scriptures added. The didache seems to have been a sort of church manual for first century followers of Messiah. Now, in chapter 8 of the didache, uh, and, and number 1, it states this. Now, now think about this. I want you to think about this. This is, this is uh, for followers of Messiah, written by the apostles, uh, supposedly. Um, it says, but as for your fasts, let them not be with the hypocrites, for they fast on the second and fifth days of the week. But do ye fast on the fourth and sixth days? In other words, he's saying, or the, the, the apostles supposedly are saying, let not your fasts, as believers in Messiah, let not your fast be with the hypocrites, a reference to sects of Judaism that had rejected Jesus as the Messiah. For they fast on Mondays and Thursdays, but you are to fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. Wow. So even the Didache, which is supposedly written by the apostles, is establishing which days you as a believer would fast on. And that would be on Wednesdays and Fridays, not on Mondays and Thursdays like the rest who had rejected Jesus. And so you can see both within Messianic uh, Judaism and in other sects of Judaism, fast days were vitally important. These were big, big issues. People were passionate about it, and you fasted on these particular days. So, so what's a believer to do? Fast on Mondays and Thursdays with the greater uh, uh, um, number of, of, of those in Israel, or on Wednesdays and Fridays with the Messianic believing community. What, what days are we, what are we going to do? Which day or days should one regard as the best for observing regular fast days. Now, it appears that what Paul is saying in Romans is simply this. One person regards one fast day above another. Another regards every day appropriate to fast if one chooses to fast. But each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day for a fast observes it for the Lord, and he who does not fast but eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not but fasts does so for the Lord and gives thanks to God. So, it looks like Paul here is teaching that when it comes to opinions about vegetarianism or diets that include meat, show love and tolerance to each other. And when it comes to accepted practices related to official fast days, show love and tolerance to each other, seeing that those official, official fast days are rooted in the opinions of man. Now, you can also apply this principle of Paul in Romans chapter 14, and, and specifically verse 5. You can apply this principle of Paul to resolving the way you determine the date of Shavuot, or what uh, is more popularly known as Pentecost. And for those that understand this, this is a little bit more complicated. I'm just going to be really brief here. I don't have uh, time to really go into this, but let me just state that in Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 15, we have the key to understanding when you begin the count that determines the date of the annual festival of Pentecost. It says, quote, you shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, unquote. So 
uh, in the week of Passover, uh, you begin the count of, of what we call the Omer, the count of the Omer. It's for 50 days, and the 50th day is Pentecost. It determines the date of Pentecost. Now, the, the three main probabilities for the date based on this passage, and the passage is not clear, but the three main possibilities or probabilities are, number one, the weekly Sabbath of Passover week. So on the weekly Sabbath of Passover week, the next day would be Sunday. You begin the count on Sunday, and 50 days later, which puts you back on another Sunday, you would have Pentecost. But if you choose to believe or interpret the passage as referring to Nisan the 15th as being the Sabbath, being referred to in Leviticus 23, then Nisan the 16th is the day you begin the count. And, uh, and if you begin the count on Nisan the 16th, then the date of, of Shavuot or Pentecost could be on any day of the week, 50 days later. In fact, it's going to move over the calendar to different days of the week. Now, even in the first century, others like the Essene community, they waited until uh, the week of Passover was over before making uh, the Sabbath, a reference to the first weekly Sabbath after Passover week. In other words, they waited a week, and then when the Sabbath came, the next day, Sunday, they began their count and put they put uh, Pentecost on Sunday again, um, but this time it would be a week um, or, or it would be after the week of Passover that you'd begin to count that day. So uh, all that being stated, um, you know, you would have three different possible dates in the first century for the date of Pentecost. And all Judaisms of the first century were passionate and fully convinced on their particular interpretation of Leviticus 23.15 in regard to the word, the Sabbath. Now, in most years, because of that, they all would be celebrating Shavuot on three different dates and making the claim that their date was the correct and holy date for Pentecost. Paul's principle here of showing tolerance and love could apply uh, to, to the date of Pentecost due to the fact that Leviticus 23.15 is not very clear. Therefore, pick one of the three and observe the festival of Shavuot. And today, like the first century, there's still debate on what Leviticus 23.15 is actually referring to when it states to start the count for the date of Shavuot, Pentecost, on the day following, quote-unquote, the Sabbath. Is this a reference to the weekly Sabbath? Therefore, the count would begin on Sunday, and Pentecost would fall on a Sunday 50 days later? Or is it a reference to Nisan the 15th, thereby making Nisan the 16th the day you start the count? Now, those two positions are very, very, um, those, those are the two positions every year that kind of come up. And so, you know, we have the date of Pentecost uh, on one of those two uh, uh, positions, which places the date of Pentecost on two different dates every year. So, you know, in light of this, I say by way of extrapolation, Romans 15, 5, uh, at least in principle, would, would make the case that you just need to pick one of those dates and keep the festival without judging others who pick a different option. Why? Because the text isn't clear. Therefore, it becomes a matter of opinion. Respect each other's opinion. Choose one of the dates and keep it. Now, that's not true concerning the Sabbath. The Sabbath is explicit. It's clear. It's the seventh day. No one's confused about that in Judaism today. No one's confused about that in Messianic Judaism. Catholics are not confused. They understand that the seventh day uh, uh, Sabbath is not Sunday, and Sunday is not the seventh day Sabbath. 
So, so it, it, it would not apply to the clear command of the Sabbath, but to matters related to fast days and or days like the date of Pentecost. So in conclusion, let me just restate some of these things. Romans 14 verse 5 is not talking about the fourth commandment being done away with, and now everyone is free to choose their own day as a Sabbath, or not to observe any day as a Sabbath. That is ludicrous and untenable, in my opinion. In addition, it is most likely talking about established fast days, and of the four days, choose one or more, and observe the days of fast for the Lord, and do not judge him or her who chooses a different day for fasting, or simply chooses not to fast at all. Quit judging one another in these matters. These are matters of opinion. Unlike the Sabbath command, these fast days are in the realm of opinion. Therefore, they're left up to the conscience of each person. So do not legislate opinion. Rather, respect each other's opinions. And this, by way of extrapolation, can also be applied to determining the date of Pentecost every year. Just choose one of the two dates that are available and observe the festival. Enjoy it. Quit judging each other in these areas that are realms of opinion. Now, finally, I I beg to differ with Dr. Brown in his points that he has tried to make, mostly based on silence. And uh, some of the final points, of course, I just, just totally disagree with. And I respect him. I think he is a great scholar. I just beg to differ with him. And, and this is this is my main difference in my in my summation of this series. The Gentiles do not get to change the Sabbath to Sunday, nor do they get to replace the Sabbath with Sunday. The weekly Shabbat is not in the realm of man's opinion, but rather is the explicit command of God spoken by His mouth and written by His hand. What the Gentile believer gets to do under Paul's instruction in Romans chapter 14 and verse 5, is to choose for themselves what day or days they will fast on, and also, by way of extrapolation, which of the two dates they will choose to celebrate Pentecost on. That's what I think Paul is talking about, and I think the context supports that particular position. The idea that Romans 14 and verse 5 is the removal of, of the observance of the weekly Shabbat, the abrogation of the fourth commandment is, in my opinion, unattainable. And so I disagree uh, uh, categorically with Dr. Brown. I consider him a dear brother. I respect him. I love him. But I totally and adamantly disagree with him. I believe all believers, both Jewish and Gentiles, are called to walk within the framework of the covenant, which is, which is generally speaking, Uh, summarized in the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments. So I I hope this has been helpful to you in in exploring this uh, beautiful issue of the Shabbat and what it means to all believers everywhere, both Jews and Gentiles. I hope it's been a blessing to you and your family. That concludes our program for this week. Special thanks to you uh, and, and, and especially to our great King, Yeshua the Messiah. Thank you for listening and supporting and making this podcast possible through your prayers and financial giving. Know that in your prayers and giving, you are partnering with us as we advance the kingdom of Messiah in Israel, the United States, and throughout the world. We are a highly rated and listened to Messianic podcast on iTunes under the category of Judaism. Subscribe now. Pray with us. Give financially and share the vision and power of this podcast with everyone you know. 
Baruch Hashem. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm your host, Pastor Mark, and until our next show, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Prince of Peace, Yeshua the Messiah. Shalom. Torah Talk has been brought to you by The Harvest, a Messianic Charismatic Congregation located at 8891 Hose Boulevard in Thornton, Colorado. Your host has been Pastor Mark McClellan. Join us for Sabbath services at 1 p.m. next Saturday afternoon. For more information, please call us at 303-761-9948 or visit our website at www.graftedin.com. God bless you and shalom.